Sponsor Dell Technologies wants you to consider open source network operating system Sonic. Learn about Sonic at DellTechnologies.com slash networking. In a world of spam and phishing, running your own email server is fraught with peril. It can be hard to get your messages delivered if your server or domain has a bad reputation. You're not one of those bad mail servers, but no one believes your mail server is trustworthy without a bunch of metadata proving it. Some of that metadata includes DNS records and SMTP headers that lend authenticity to your messages. And if you're thinking that an MX record was the only place where DNS and email overlap, you are way behind the times. These days, we've also got SPF, DKIM, and DMARC records that help mail servers decide whether messages claiming to be from your domain are legit. And today on Heavy Networking, all about SPF, DMARC, and DKIM, our guest is Alex Blackie. He wrote an article entitled Email Authenticity 101 that I thought explained these topics really well. Welcome to the show, Alex. And hey, man, in a sentence or two, tell the nice folks out there who you are. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm Alex Blackie. I'm a software developer uh, currently working at a consulting company building e-commerce websites called Supergood. Excellent. Uh, glad to have you. And uh, let's start the conversation this way, Alex. Explain at a high level what these DNS records, these SPF, DMARC, and DKIM records are accomplishing for us. Just broadly, all three of them together, what do they do? Yeah, for sure. Um, so these records ensure that the email from your domain is sent from authenticated sources. Um, so they ensure that someone bad on the internet can't claim to send email from your domain. And hopefully these records will make sure that the email providers, Google, et cetera, will block any email that isn't authentic. All right, right. Okay, so authenticity, the, the reproving that the messages you're sending are legitimate, coming from a legitimate source. So the, and I can tell you from experience, I don't have on all of the domains that I manage, SPF, DMARC, and DKIM records. A lot of times I have SPF records, and that might be it. And I can get mail delivered. So, so here's the question. What, what is the risk if I don't have these records in place? Most of the risk is with spoofing. Um, so a lot of spam, uh, if you ever inspected the spam in your email folder, um, a lot of it will be from seemingly unrelated legitimate websites, um, but it will be a spam message. Uh, and a lot of those spam emails are piggybacking on poorly configured domains um, to try and get through filters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get, I get that. And uh, prepping for the show, that kind of reminded me of what the risk is. Uh, let's put it this way, Alex. I felt shame because I haven't made the effort to get beyond SPF and into DKIM and DMARC records particularly. And I, 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 Well, we're going to talk about this as we go along, but DKIM especially has tripped me up just getting public-private keys established. Sometimes the mail host that I'm working with doesn't really even offer it as a service. And, uh, and so I've kind of gotten stuck there. But let's, well, let's start at the beginning though with SPF. Sender policy framework. Now, those of you listening, if you heard OSPF, open shortest path, right? No, no, no. We're talking about SPF, sender policy framework records. Um, so starting with that, Alex, explain what an SPF DNS record is. Well, at the core of it, it's really just a list of IP addresses. Uh, it's a very simple. It's probably the simplest part of all of these technologies. You can include IPs from other providers, um, but really at the end of the day, it just turns into a list of IP addresses. And uh, the policy that you provide is which these IP addresses are the servers that are authorized to send email from your domain. Okay, so, uh, but I'm not sending 
Well, so describe for me what's in this SPF record then. Is there like a syntax to it? Because I'm not putting individual IP addresses in, I assume. Uh, yeah, you can, uh, but most people don't uh, because often there are a lot of them or in more and more these days, it's outsourced to a, a provider like Google. So at the core of it, it is just uh, usually include colon domain name, which just recursively resolves to a bunch of IP addresses. Now, the SPF record is not a DNS record type. This DNS record type is actually a text record, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I put this DNS TXT record in and it's got this SPF syntax in it that describes all of the IP addresses, probably with host names that tell who is this a, an SMTP receiving server getting mail from my domain? They're going to like look this thing up and then make a determination of whether or not the message that's inbound matches up with the, uh, the SPF record. Yeah. Yeah. It's checked by the receiving mail server automatically based on the, the, from the, from address or the sender address, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So then how much does this help? that receiving server determine legitimacy if that is it looks it up and the ip address is well first of all let's say it's a match that is uh the ip address is found as a legitimate sender based on the syntax of the spf record what does that really tell the receiving mail server it's hard to know in modern times most email providers are sort of a black box it's a pretty good signal i think because it's the easiest and so just having anything helps and certainly it will make deliverability a lot better than having no SPF record. Um, and if you are to do anything, SPF is probably the, the easiest and best thing to just get a base level. Well, like I was saying, I'm talking about my shame earlier in the podcast. That is the one thing. I mean, if you can sit and thump that out, it's not very hard to do. And, uh, and you can just, you can pop in your IP addresses or a host name that resolves to a bunch of IP addresses, maybe that, uh, were of, of a SMTP sender that would be legitimately delivering mail for you. That is easy enough. It is also a good, uh, it is good that most providers give it to you for free during the setup instructions, uh, unlike DMARC or DKIM, which are often a little more, a little more buried. I, well, I have found even SPF can be a little bit buried. Um, look yeah. at you, Hover. Uh, I use Hover for a lot of stuff, including a little bit of email hosting. And that was one. It's like, I had to do a lot of digging just to figure out what that record was. But uh, but got it done uh, anyway. Well, okay. So let's flip this on its head. If I don't have an SPF record for my mail domain, um, what is a receiving mail server going to think? I, I'm looking for an SPF record and I don't have one or can't find one. What do they think about that? It's hard to know for certain, um, but uh, essentially all email from your domain will be equal, uh, meaning any spammer sending email as you will be treated the same as legitimate email coming from you. Uh, and that often is not a, not a great signal. Yeah. We're all about trying to get the receiving mail server to get to a point where it trusts that the message that's inbound is a legitimate message. And so SPF is then one mark in its favor. If we don't have it, then right. We're asking the receiving mail server to, I don't know, receiving mail server. Good luck with that. It could be legit. We're not, I don't know. 
So can I, can I, in my SPF record, instruct a receiving mail server to reject a message if the IP the message is inbound from isn't in the list? Yeah, so the last section of the SPF uh, syntax in that record uh, gives a, a qualifier, a hint to the receiving mail server on what to do if SPF fails. Um, there are four of these uh, symbols, basically, um, a pass, a fail, a soft fail, or a neutral. Um, fail being the recommended uh, in that case, um, because that will just... Uh, that is the strongest signal that I mail. It's the most firm instruction, you know, to, it yeah. sounds like, I want you to reject this if the IP you're getting this from is not in the list. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Alex. So if I've got, um, oh, let's, let's say, let, let's say I want to do this. I want the receiving mail server to reject any messages coming from an IP that's not in the list that I've put into my SPF record. Is there a way to instruct it, instruct that receiving mail server to take that action? Yeah, so the last the last section of the SPF record or the TXT record with the SPF data uh, is the the hint or the the qualifier to send to or to instruct the receiving mail server what to do. Um, there are four options: pass, fail, soft fail, or neutral. Um, generally, you should be using uh, fail or hard fail um, because that will send the strongest signal that you do not want anyone failing SPF. Um, a lot of providers will uh, give you an example with soft fail um, just to keep it safe in case you forgot to put something in mm. your SPF record. Uh, but generally, if you know all the providers that are sending email, you should probably have a hard fail. Yeah, it's it's one of those where you you want... You don't want to get that help desk ticket. I can't get mail delivered. Why? If only I'd had the soft fail that would have solved it. But I mean, right, in this circumstance, as pervasive as, uh, as spam and phishing attacks and other things are, we want a hard fail. In other words, get the policy right. Get your IP list right and, uh, and understand that and then, and then go from there. Hard fail if you're not, uh, if you don't have that IP in the list. Well, okay, Alex, so sender policy framework, that's the easy one. Um, that's in it, person listening. If you go and just Google sender policy framework and look at the command syntax, how to build that TXT record, it's pretty straightforward. And like Alex was saying, there's plenty of help from mail providers about how to build an SPF record if you're sending mail through their system. Um, this isn't rocket science at all, but we're going to move into something that's a little bit more complicated. I know that I'd say it's rocket science, Alex, but uh, but DKIM, Domain Keys Identified Mail. This is a bit more complex than a simple TXT file or a TXT record. W what is DKIM all about? Uh, so DKIM requires support from the server or service that's sending your email, uh, and they will generate a, crypto a cryptographic key, uh, asymmetric key, um, to sign all of your outbound email. Um, now you said asymmetric key, so that's uh, public private. So that means I've got a public private key pair. They are going to um, sign it with a private key, or, or you know, there's going to be a hash that's going to be created with a private key, and I, and with the public key that I can look up publicly. That's why it's a public key. I should be able to uh, get a match, get that hash. Uh, yeah. Okay. Part of the DKIM setup will be adding uh, these days, often it's a C name or another TXT record in a lot of cases uh, with the public key contents in. So it's stored in DNS. 
So would I use DKIM instead of SPF or in addition to SPF? Uh, certainly in addition to would be recommended. Okay. So SPF, again, it's the IP list. So it's sort of like for the network people listening to this, it's like an access list. But we're now upping the the ante. It's kind of like adding IPsec to, uh, to the layer here. We're adding a cryptographic signature to this to this list. Okay, but there's more than DNS involved here. Uh, there's some DNS involved, but there's, where does that signature go? It must go in the SMTP header? Yeah, uh, so having a key is great, but if you don't know where to look for it, it doesn't do much. Um, so an outgoing or an outbound email will have uh, DKIM headers appended to the, or I guess, appended to the headers uh, of the message with details about um, what domain this is, where to look for the selector in DNS, which just means the, the DNS subdomain that you're supposed to look for, uh, and some other like metadata about it. So in those headers, then, uh, the receiving mail server is going to receive the message. In the SMTP headers will be this DCAM metadata information, including cryptographic signature, and then a, a selector. Um, the selector being a, like a host name paired with a domain. And that is telling me what exactly? Uh, that is the location of the public key to check the signature against. Um, okay. So all the, all the subdomains are under a uh, RFC specified underscore domain keys uh, subdomain. And so the selector is the uh, third level subdomain, uh, the one before underscore domain keys on your domain. So now with that information, I've got as a receiving mail server, a DKIM signature um, that matches, what is that signature? It's a hash of, of something. Uh, yeah, it's the, the headers, parts of the body, um, most of the message, basically. All right. So, and that means uh, with that signature paired with the selector and domain where I can go get the public key, I go do a DNS lookup, retrieve that public key. That's what, what is that? Another TXT file or TXT record? Yeah, it's another TXT record. <laughs> okay. I pull the public key through DNS and now I can calculate my own, my own hash and I should get the same value as what's in the header. Yeah. Hopefully. Oh, well, hopefully. But if I don't, then that's a flag that um, this was not sent from a legit sender because my hash calculation didn't match. Yeah. 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 And it's a much stronger signal because it's cryptographic instead of just IP based. We paused this discussion to think about open source network operating systems. And if you just went, nope, because I know some of you did, I I'm guessing that's because you're thinking open source is for hobbyists and not grown-up network engineers with actual serious networks to support. And if that's where you're at, uh, you're making bad assumptions about what open source is all about. So consider Sonic, developed and supported by several vendors, including sponsor Dell Technologies. With Sonic, you can build a network that runs just the features you need and leaves the monolith behind. And to me, that means flexibility in design and a lowering of operational risk. Sonic is based on Linux and a containerized architecture, like any modern OS, right? You, you can stand up the containers with the network functions you need and nothing extra running in the background. And then with that architectural model underpinning the network, you can design for growth. You can have a lean, mean network operating system that grows as you do, including up to hyperscale size. 
This also means that if you need to get into fancier functionality, like you might need to do at the edge with a bunch of fancy packet processing, Sonic lets you do that too. Lean and mean in the core and fancy at the edge if you want while still running a common NOS. If you are building out that fancy edge, maybe you're offloading to SmartNICs, aka data processing units or DPUs that accelerate specific network functions. Sonic can play here as well. Well, how, how does that work? Sonic's modularity and use of P4 makes it as flexible and functional as you need for your fancy edge DPUs. And, and the point here, Sonic is open source, but it is a serious network operating system with roles to play in the data center, cloud networking, and edge computing. It works with the stupid fast forwarding silicon you're going to find in big iron switches and in SmartNICs doing really complex packet processing, but it's all Sonic. So that gives you some operational consistency backed by not only the open source community, but also Dell Technologies. So take a look at Open Source Sonic, figure out the roles that it can play in your enterprise network infrastructure, again, backed by Dell Technologies. Visit DellTechnologies.com slash networking to find out more. One more time, that's DellTechnologies.com slash networking. And if you do talk to the folks at Dell about Sonic, let them know you heard about it on the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. And now back to today's episode. The challenge here, though, is I have to have a mail server that or a mail system, if I'm using someone else's mail system, I, I have to have a system that supports this. So again, looking at you, Hover, I don't think <laughs> I can do DKIM with Hover, at least in my searching, I haven't found that they support that as a, as a mail host. So how common is it for to have DKIM support out there? Can I do it on um, on Google infrastructure, let's say? Yeah, I think it's fairly common. Uh, it can be hard to find sometimes. You may have to look up some knowledge-based articles on some strange help site to find out how. But uh, I know that Microsoft 365, uh, Google, or, or Google Workspace, they call it now, um, and uh, Fastmail and many others support it. There's two pieces to this puzzle. I'm building the DNS record that shares the public key. I'm putting the you know the selector in the domain TXT record out there with that public key, but I have to have generated that public private key pair um, to even know what that public key is. And then the mail server would need to know what the private key is. So that's a, that's a whole thing where again the mail delivery system has to support this because they have to know, hey, we're going to be appending a signature to the SMTP headers of all your outbounds. In other words, you got to set this up to do this. You can't just like create a public private key pair and, and throw a record out there. It's got to be, uh, they have to know that you want this done. Yeah. And in all the cases I've seen, uh, you don't even have access to the private key. It's purely within the email provider's infrastructure and they just give you the public key to publish. Which makes sense. Why would you need the private key if you're not even managing the mail server? Yeah. <laughs> Only if you're managing the mail server would that matter, which yeah. we were talking about before the show. I'm tempted to build my own postfix server and just make all this <laughs> stuff happen because I did postfix back in the day. And it's tempting uh, to, to have that kind of fun. Oh, well, Alex, how critical is DKIM? Like you mentioned earlier, it's a much stronger signal than SPF. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's also important. Uh, it is stronger than SPF, um, but it's not as strong as uh, enforcing DKIM, which we'll get into in a bit. Oh, enforcing DKIM as in like, oh, okay, so let's back up a step. When we were talking about SPF records, we made the point that you can in that what is basically a policy statement, 
it struck the receiving mail server. If the IP you're getting this from isn't in the list, reject, do a hard fail, do not accept the message for delivery, uh, bounce it. So you're saying DKIM by itself offers the signatures, and so you can verify cryptographically that the hashes match, and you've probably got legit. But, but what are we saying? We can't tell the receiving mail server, thou shalt honor the hashes, and if they are not, thou shalt reject. You're saying you, we can't do that within DKIM? Within DKIM, there isn't really, there's nothing akin to the SPF uh, hard fail uh, in DKIM itself. Um, certainly having it present in the headers will help if the mail server looks for that. Um, but there is no way to say require DKIM for all messages. But there is with DMARC? Is that where you're taking me? That is. All right, then tell me about DMARC. Uh, so DMARC is, uh, if you may guess, another TXT record, um, this time on underscore DMARC on your uh, DNS zone. Um, and it's basically an enforcement layer for both SPF and DKIM. Ooh, double enforcement for SPF uh, with DMARC. Okay. And I, I had done a little bit of digging on DMARC before the show. Again, domain-based message authentication, reporting, and conformance. Uh, so it is, is it another DNS record then? Yeah, it's another TXT record that you have to add, but uh, it, it shares the similar or the same syntax as SPF. Uh, so it should look familiar at least. So then with this, I can instruct the mail server, you, you will handle SPF a particular way, you will handle DKIM a particular way, meaning rather than it being a nice signal to have an SPF or a DKIM record or both, uh, I can tell DMARC, it's not a nice to have, it's a need to have. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's get into the, the language here. Is it, is this straightforward or is this convoluted? It can be a little convoluted. Uh, there are like short forms and long forms for the values too. So if you just use the short forms, it looks pretty cryptic, but you can set ADKIM and ASPF, um, which stands for something. Uh, basically, uh, should you enforce DKIM, should you enforce SPF, and to what level? Um, so you can set uh, strict or relaxed for both of those, uh, which is similar to the soft fail, hard fail in SPF, uh, but for now, DKIM and SPF. Um, so a relaxed will be a bit more relaxed, uh, and strict will hmm. ensure that it is there for all messages. So it's really a pairing thing. If I take an SPF record and a DKIM record and pair those with DMARC, I end up with a pretty tight uh, mail policy. The receiving mail server is going to know exactly what I want it to do based on the metadata around a message that comes in. And so if yeah. I get these right, there should be a high degree of confidence on the part of the receiving mail server that if all the checks are passed in my SPF and DKIM records, this is legit mail. You should be able to deliver this. It's probably not uh, spam. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, and that can lead to uh, problems if you're overzealous and just start blocking everything right away. Um, so there is a nice facility within DMARC to uh, gradually roll out policies without rejecting everything right away. And that's where the, the P equals comes in, in the DMARC syntax, um, which lets you send a, or set a policy and a percentage to apply that policy. Um, so by default, it's 100%, but you could roll out and say, oh, only 25% of my email should go through DMARC. And then you can 
see through reporting, which is another part of DMARC, uh, you can see in the reports, am I, am I rejecting too much email? Are things coming through? Are there sources that are sending that I didn't know about? That kind of thing. You know how an SPF, the SPF record we were talking about, get your IP list right, but maybe you're not so sure what that IP list is. I think the DMARC reporting comes in here, right? Because you, you will get in those reports, if I understood this correctly, a list of IPs that are sending mail for your domain, yeah? Yes, yeah. Uh, those reports are fairly hard to parse. Uh, they're just sort of raw data that's sent to a, a mailbox. Um, but there are like third-party services to uh, turn those into pretty dashboards. Oh, do you happen to know what the, what the is it JSON or something? What's the payload of a DMARC report if it's cryptic? Uh, I haven't know? looked in a while. Uh, I, it's probably XML or something weird. But it's it's something tagged and parsable anyway. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and you just said there are services that'll make a pretty report out of that data for me. But the idea behind that report then is if I am not really confident of what my IP list should be in my SPF record, for example, I can look at that data and, uh, and figure it out. Kind of like when in networking, if you do micro-segmentation between hosts and you don't know what all ports you should open and what all IP should be going between these two hosts, you run the thing in an observation mode for a while, kind of figure that out and get a good baseline. Then you can turn the policy into enforcement mode. That kind of feels like the same sort of a thing here with the DMARC record. Yeah. Now, is DMARC that, uh, unlike DKIM, that DMARC feels independent of a hosting provider because I can just, it's just a policy record a pol in the form of a DNS TXT record, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing on the provider side that will block or enable you to use DMARC. You can use it with anything, really. What about, uh, if I don't have DKIM, but I just have SPF, can I still use DMARC? You should be able to. Yeah. Um, obviously, DKIM is prefer preferable. Um, but I believe you should be able to use DMARC just with SPF. Interesting. Okay. So then, uh, well, it's the reporting thing. I keep going back to the reporting functionality in my head. That seems really interesting because you could also find out like who's sending mail the, uh, against my domain that shouldn't be? Who's pretending to be me trying to deliver mail? That could be pretty interesting intel to gather as well. Yeah, yeah, certainly. That's uh, <laughs> at a past job I worked at a uh, just a software as a service company uh, that had had lots of employee turn turnover and ten years of tech debt to deal with, um, and when I enabled DMARC on their production domain, uh, we found at least, I think, two services that no one remembered and no one really knew what they were. And they were sending email as if they were coming from our application. Um, so that was a, a real life story of DMARC helping <laughs> us shut down weird spam. Uh, so a practical, you know, operational perspective on, on these records, if, cause you've kind of, Put some caution in here. Um, if we light these up, um, uh, what is the risk of if we get them wrong? That mail that should be delivered isn't? Is that the primary risk? Yeah, depending on how strict your policy is, uh, it could go as far as uh, providers rejecting your email altogether and not even putting it in the spam folder uh, and just throwing away every message if it doesn't match everything perfectly, um, which is generally why you would want to start at a much more relaxed 
low percentage you're just saying to make sure. not even a bounce they swallow it more or less silently i believe yeah yeah i, I don't think it's a bounce but yeah i'm not sure on that specifically but now, yeah if, they will if i have dmark reporting turned on will that tell me that a message got rejected and why does that help me there yes yeah uh dmark reports do contain uh all the rejections and everything which is uh, also fun to see once you have it set up correctly uh, how many things are being rejected out no this this is awesome actually this is really great because uh in in a number of mail servers i've set up sometimes it just it takes some doing you don't know why things are being rejected at first and you're kind of scratching your head trying to figure it out because you don't have a remote mail server log you don't know what's going on this is kind of like remote server logging you get to see what happened on the other end via uh seeing these dmark report messages come through so there's there's insight there that's incredibly helpful um i i find most mail servers just they play mean, man. They don't they don't necessarily tell you anything because they got a lot to do. Rejecting your message is one of a billion that they rejected that day. They don't really care that much. So getting insight can be hard. Um, so a couple of practical questions. If I have a domain but no mail server, because I have I have that situation actually. I manage a bunch of domains and don't always have mail that's originating from those domains. So if I don't have an email server in that domain. I don't have to care about these records. Is that logically that's true or, or is that not true? Fortunately, uh, that's not true. Um, someone can still spoof email to be from your domain, even if you don't personally have email on that domain. Um, but luckily, SPF and DKIM can come to your aid. Oh, right. It's a, it's a, it's a good, good netizen kind of a thing. Um, I can tell everybody, Hey, if anybody shows up saying that's email from me, it, it isn't because I don't send mail. So reject everything. I, I see where we're going here. You can, you can just tell the remote service, you should not accept mail from me because I would never send you anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great use of the, uh, the hard fail reject the strongest policy possible because there's no risk uh, that you'll drop any legitimate mail because there is none. <laughs> Uh, another common problem that I've run into over the years managing mail servers is IP reputation. I'll stand up a new mail server living up at some cloud service or another. They give me some recycled IP address that was previously used to do very bad things re regarding email, and no one wants to talk to that server. Do these records help me out of that IP reputation problem? Probably not. Uh, again, we're starting to get into like Google black box territory. Um, but my assumption would be IP reputation is probably still one of the biggest things. Um, I've, I know I've read a lot of blog posts from other people who run their own mail servers on various cloud providers or whatever, and have a lot of issues with deliverability, even if they do quote unquote, everything right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. The IP reputation seems to be the thing that is the hardest to overcome. Cause if you're in a, a bunch of different blacklists, then I don't know. My experience is it tends to take precedence um, and it, you have to do a lot of emailing around to say, Hey, I'm legit. Now this is a new, this is a new, this is a new me. It's uh, I'm not, I'm not that bad guy. I'm, I'm, I'm new and you can trust me, but getting folks to acknowledge that is a difficult thing because spam again is such a pervasive problem on the net. Yeah. It takes quite a long time. Hmm. 
IPv4 versus IPv6, Alex. I don't know. Have you run into any anything to take note of dealing with uh, SPF, DKIM, and DMARC? Uh, I have not run into anything. As far as I know, uh, this should work with both or all dual stack uh, systems should work just fine with both. And I know with SPF, there's syntax there, so you can put an IPv6 address in there and you know, and all of that. I, I haven't seen anything different either. I just wondered if you'd run into anything. Well, Alex, this is a nice, brief show covering SPF, DMARC, and DKIM. I hope that clears it up for folks. Uh, a big reason I reached out to you, Alex, and I wanted to thank you for this. You wrote about these records in a clear and concise way. And for some reason, I've run into a lot of articles on these record types that just confuse the heck out of me as if the person writing it didn't really seem to understand it. But you had a nice, clear explanation in your blog. And uh, and I appreciate that. So thanks for taking the time to join us in heavy networking today. How do people follow you on the internet? And uh, you got your own company. I mean, talk about you for a minute, Alex. Uh, well, you can, of course, read my blog at um, alexblackie.com. Uh, if you want to check out uh, some of my uh, up and coming, uh, business projects. You can go to, uh, zykoapp.com at Z A I K O app.com. Um, what is zyko.com? What is that all about? Uh, that is a inventory management application, uh, that I've been building for a while. Um, and that is, uh, for managing your, uh, fixed assets, I think is the, the correct term. Um, so things you own or things your company owns, computers, servers, racks, cables, um, Got it. helps you tag them and keep track of serial numbers and whatever else you need. Cool. Cool. All right. So AlexBlackie.com, Zyko.com for your inventory management stuff. And are you, you on Twitter, LinkedIn, that kind of stuff? Uh, ZykoApp.com. Sorry. <laughs> Psychoapp.com. Sorry, we got that. And that'll be in the show notes if you're interested in some inventory management stuff from Alex. And uh, Alex, uh, again, Twitter, LinkedIn? Uh, I'm not on most social media. Uh, I think LinkedIn, I have, uh, I'm just slash Alex Blackie, I think. I'm not trying to refer to LinkedIn profiles. Oh, cool. Well, th thanks, man. I appreciate uh, the time you spent to share with us about email security today. And if you're out there listening and you enjoyed this show, you can get more great IT engineering stuff from us for free and with your privacy respected. We have a weekly newsletter. That's at packetpushers.net slash newsletter. We do not sell your email address to anybody. We just send you engineering and opinion stuff about the IT industry. It's got to focus on networking and cloud. And the whole idea is to make you better at your career. We have a Slack group. You can find all the information on that at packetpushers.net slash Slack. That is a global chat group with over 1,800 engineers from around the world. And they work for a whole mix of people. Some of them work for vendors. Some of them work for big companies, some for small companies, some for consultancies. But all of them are out there to help each other out. If you are social, unlike Alex, you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Packet Pushers and you can find us on LinkedIn. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.